is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 22, previewing the Fifth Global Nash Congress, which will take place in London on May 26th and 27th. This conversation has three separate elements. The first is a discussion of weight loss and what large data banks can tell us about the relationship between weight loss, nature of diet, and treatment of fatty liver disease. The second goes back to the issue of drug trials, drug development, the role of NITs, and why drug development fails. And the third involves all five panelists sharing their wish list for what to get out of this conference. It's a pretty fast-moving conversation and covers a lot of ground. Enjoy it. What made this episode so interesting and enjoyable for me was not only to consider some of the topics at the Congress, but also the different conversations that arose spontaneously from the surfers and our guests. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise Campbell. I think the interesting thing is also the sessions on weight loss with or without, and particularly without the pharmacological intervention, can address some of the questions that we have about the placebo lines and how people lose weight, what they do, how they change. And I think always understanding the control or the placebo group and their behaviour, as we've alluded to many times on the podcast, it has the ability to derail a trial very much or prevent a drug going to um, getting approval. The more we can understand how diet and lifestyle effects in the world of drug and pharmacology, the more we might understand how our placebo arms and how we can manage that in, a, in future trials. Ian Rowe. It's an interesting point that is that one of the issues with the approach that the Oxford team have taken is it's trial level data so you look at trial level changes in body weight and try and correlate those with outcomes and that's probably insufficiently sophisticated to try and do the type of analysis that you're suggesting where individual level patient data would be much stronger. You know, what apparent when you look at the manuscripts and I'm sure when they present the data you'll see that the net weight loss to predict a 20% improvement in whatever outcome whether that's NASH resolution you know two point improvement in NAS or fibrosis improvement the net weight loss to achieve that is zero because that is the placebo response people have heard my views previously but that placebo response relates to the limitations of histology specifically sampling variability and additionally probably a bit of observer variability but I think it's predominantly sampling variability and the sooner that we accept that and stop trying to fix it using tools that are not going to fix it the better it may be still unproven i think the ai and the talks about ai here the ai will impact on that because you'll get a better possibly more holistic assessment of fibrosis or of nash but i'm not convinced and if you take the same size sample 20 millimeters in length 15 portal tracks and use that as your baseline and end of trial assessment, then I think you'll struggle to get away from that 20% type rate. It's consistent across all of the trials and, as I say, very likely to be explained by sampling variability rather than anything else. Jörn Schattenberg. Nothing much to add beyond maybe highlighting that, yes, there are two talks in that conference trying to bridge that gap, at least from the perspective of human variability in assessing those changes using AI to more robustly come to an objective readout out of that piece of liver tissue we're taking out. And again, I think the field has made a strong argument to move away from liver histology as a surrogate and look at outcomes, look at NITs to support those outcomes. And we're on a good way, I would say. And based on what Ian said, uh, and he highlighted the limitations nicely, this is uh, so important. And, and, and the two AI talks here, one I think addresses imaging and uh, the other one, which I'm not too familiar with, the uh, 
liver histology will be interesting to see. I think we're most advanced on, of course, the quantification of objectively quantifying fibrosis rather than other changes that are more diverse or inconsistent, but that will help us tremendously. That all makes good sense to me. I mean, it, the degree to which it's an issue of sampling, vari- sampling variability is the one thing you really can't fix, right? Without leaving histology behind. AI can fix inter-reader reliability, but if, if, if it's purely an issue of sampling, you can't fix that. I suspect one of the things we'll learn as we go forward is exactly how much is fixable without getting into sampling variability. But you are, and I think, big challenge question, as we talk about frequently on podcast, is going to be how quickly will we be able to step past histology entirely, right? And some of that will be about how good the work of the consortium, particularly, I think, Neil NIT, which is dedicated to that specific issue, how good all that work will be from all the consortia. And the second is, was the work gets done, what does it prove? Yeah, agreed. I think that's the multi-billion dollar question, really, in terms of, because I think it'll have a lot to do with how quickly can drugs get approved and how quickly can diagnosis spread out beyond specialties into into primary care or into into environments that have less money to spend on diagnosis and less time to do it. So I think I think you really kind of at the heart of the issue there. Yeah, for the timeline, I think the good news is the more advanced patients that hit those endpoints, we're going to have NITs that we collected already in these consortia. We're going to learn which one's going to develop outcomes. And there have been some publications, for example, the cirrhotic symptomatic or the Stella 3-4 from the Gilead trials that have educated us on changes in NITs, simple NITs, but they're linked to events in uh, admittedly very selected patients population. So I think in, in more advanced cases, we're, we're, we're close to that. I would say three years timeline, and it might take a little bit longer. But in, if in the meantime, we get a positive surrogate endpoint in one of the phase three clinical trials, that would help, of course, tremendously to then also move this into real life and then understand those changes outside of clinical trials. I was going to say, Roger, I mean, this whole discussion takes us back to the thing that we missed out at the top of the agenda, which is the EMA's perspective. And in contrast, I think to the FDA, the, the AMA, at least to this external observer, seem rather quiet. And their last published position paper is several years old now. And we don't see them as frequently at meetings as we see the FDA. And that might be to do with the way that the meetings are coordinated. And I think it'd be very interesting to hear what they've got to say, at least in this forum, about how their view might be changing in the light of published data such that Jorn's just, just referred to. Thank you, Ian, because that was the place I wanted us to wind up, was on, on, on that particular set of issues. I'm struck, I mean, Last year, somebody from the FDA was here as well, and this year we don't have that. What we've got, we have an EMA talk, and we have um, someone from AstraZeneca talking about regulatory pathways of NASH, and there's no comment on that talk at all. So we had no sense really whether Mr. Torstenson is going to be talking about FDA, EMA, whoever, right? We, 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 we just don't know, number one. But number two, the last year's talk I thought was interesting for the convergence because it was the last time we saw the two agencies together. Well, I take that back. So we've seen the agencies con- together since then. But at that talk, they seemed to be highly convergent. They really were on a lot of the same topics. And as you point out correctly, FDA stepped out in public and moved past that a good way since then. So it'll be interesting to see what EME has to say. It'll be interesting to see who sits on the roundtable discussion for the liver biopsy as gold standard, because there are several pull-out sessions later on that day from the EMA comments. So it'll be interesting to see <laughs> all of these rooms, all of these tables, correct me if I'm wrong, Jean, are all in the same room. So that might get a heated discussion <laughs> in one table. <laughs> I'm not too sure which table I'm going to sit at yet, but there's several that interest me. I might eerie wig into several of them. <laughs> I would love to see if they could put tables two and four next to each other, the liver biopsy, the gold standard, and use of non-invasive biomarkers. And then on the other side of the room, they should put maybe three and five, liver and NAFLD and insulin resistance and diet and lifestyle on NAFLD NASH. And clinical trials design could be in a third orbit all its own. And then what we'll do, if I'm there, and I think that's still an open question, I know Louise will be there. You can pick one, I can pick the other one. We will put one earpiece going in each direction and see 
if we can keep two streams of conversation in our mind at one time. That'd be kind of fun. Now that's technology for yeah. you. We're making it up as we go along and bluffing later. So in, in closing, I think what I'd like each of us to comment on is the one thing we believe we might take away from this meeting and the one thing we hope we will take away from this meeting, if you will, the practical case and then the optimist case. Brave one, go first. Let me start. I think, um, as I mentioned in the summary of the talks, I'm very excited to hear the perspective of the different drug development programs and their medical lead or people that represent them and hear about their thoughts, the opportunities, the challenges during running their clinical trials and how maybe their phase 2A informed their phase 2B moving forward because it's still been a lot of trials and a lot of attempts to develop drugs and there's been positive phase 2 then disappointed in phase 3. So there's this critical momentum. How can you increase Increase your chance of success when going into a large venture like a phase three trial. And, and I think just to hear their thoughts and how they went about this is, is something that is very interesting to me. Thanks. You're next. I'll go next. I think for me, I'm particularly interested in the, obviously, the lifestyle management and the dietary ones, because those are the ones we can immediately put into care pathways. The drugs in development are further down the line and how we adapt nursing care and, and delivery of services to patients will be designed as they roll out is um, obviously the conference next week and then there's some sessions in here about how that may well adapt that's what I'm looking for here and looking at listening to Scott's work looking to the Oxford paper that's coming out but also what I hope to definitely take away is things that I can use now about dietary modification types of diets and some of the data that will come out that can be implemented now in patients with more severe disease to sort of that stabilisation that's beneficial and that we've got actual data on now. Like Louise, I'm quite looking forward to learning more about the diet, but the perspective from the EMA, I think, will be very interesting to see how far they think that they can move. I guess if you compare the original positions of both agencies, the EMA were perhaps a bit more conservative than, than the FDA were, and that will be interesting to see whether they're prepared to publicly state movement at the same rate as the FDA have done to date, and I think that that will be an, an interesting discussion. Rachel's One thing I'm hoping to learn and hoping to see is that in the biomarker and non-invasive diagnostic track, that there is an integrative diagnostic approach. So in the sense that if you're looking at serum or image-based biomarkers, that you're not just comparing it to the imperfect standard of liver biopsy. So for the development of new tools and new biomarkers, we're looking at liver biopsy, perhaps in the presence of artificial intelligence, and then comparing that to various imaging modalities, whether that's MRE, or MRI, transient elastography, fiber scan, and in the presence of serum markers to develop new tools to make sure that there's an integrative approach. So I think that if we're moving away from liver biopsy, we need to be intentional in our strategy and our methods to ensure that the patient samples we're utilizing are well characterized. So I really hope to hear about that in the methodologies of those tracks. Agreed. So I'm going to pick kind of a wild card that we've not talked about very much today. But last summer, we talked about the idea that drug development was more likely to come faster in cirrhosis than it was in advanced fibrosis, A, because of the need, and B, because you didn't have to worry about endpoints quite as much. Now, some of that's changed as FDA moves more towards NITs. But there are several talks in here that come at cirrhosis from different, starting with Sven Fromm 
Frank's talk at the beginning, where he specifically says, I want to comment on what clinical trial design should be for cirrhosis patients. And what about the vascular alterations lead me to think that. And then I guess, Jorn, you mentioned the uh, Galactin paper from uh, Paul Budas, and there are a couple of others in here. I'll be interested to see what we learn about cirrhosis as a development path, how easy it is to figure out what to do and how well along that path people are to get there, because I think that will be an interesting commercial issue. Yeah, and just to follow up and, and, and link that, I don't think we're exchanging outcomes with NITs. It's that we're learning how to link the NIT to the outcome and dissect that from the histology, maybe. And really, I'm going to say this, because uh, Donna Cryer used it, to move beyond the biopsy is the, is the term here. Well, I guess what I meant when I said outcomes is that histology, you need subpart H outcomes before you can actually get the clinical outcomes, whereas with cirrhosis, you go straight to clinical outcomes because subpart H doesn't matter because regressing fibrosis doesn't help. Sorry, I didn't state that better. And now, back to Roger. I hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Louise Campbell and Rachel Zayas will be at the Fifth Global Nash Congress next month in London, and we will have an episode with Jorn, Louise, Rachel, perhaps some other speakers, and me after the Congress. Next week, we will be back with Andrew Scott from Global Liver Institute and Achim Kautz from Germany to take a holistic view of the patient advocate role in fatty liver disease. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. See you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.